Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Big League Chew. Nothing personal. Word of the day. We have a Samson sit down. If you don't know Big League Chew, of course, you know, Big League Chew. Who doesn't? It's the greatest gum that's ever been made. And for whatever reason, Rob Nelson, the founder, the guy who invented it is here with us. Please welcome Rob Nelson, founder, the guy of Big League Chew. How are you, Rob? Uh, Very well, thanks. This is really fun. So Big League Chew, for, if, if you're in sports of any kind or you have children of any kind or you have a proclivity toward jaw movement of any kind, you know what Big League Chew is. It's shredded gum that has unbelievable lasting taste. It comes in the, this funny, amazing, perfect package that sort of makes you feel like you're a professional when you dig your fingers in and get it. But it was founded in the most interesting, bizarre way. And I want to get right to it. Rob Nelson, you were a professional baseball player. Is that right? Well, yeah, marginally. I mean, I got paid to be on the team. But, you know, truth be told, before we get going, I won one game in three years with the Portland Mavericks. And I had when I got out of Cornell, I had three weeks in extended spring training with the St. Louis Cardinals. The records are nowhere to be seen because I never made it when they broke camp. So I ended up going overseas. And I played in South Africa, played in Australia, played in England. I basically went to countries where baseball wasn't a big deal, so I could be. And uh, and it worked out just fine. But so to say I was a professional baseball player uh, is true, but there's a giant asterisk on that. So I'm not going to give you an asterisk because I love baseball and no one ever paid me to play. They only paid me to release players and trade players. So one nothing you. <laughs> Thanks very much. So so talk, talk us through this because the story of building a business, it's what our audience likes to hear and and how it works. You, you are a baseball player. You realize that maybe you're not going to get a $200 million contract. And you say to yourself, there is a possible opening for a business in the business of gum. Tell, tell me the story of it. Well, you know, I didn't think about the business of it at all. Uh, I had one good year in college, uh, finished up at Cornell and uh, fell in love with baseball. If you're going to have one good year as a collegiate player, uh, it should be your senior year because I really wanted to keep playing after that. And this is back 1971 when there weren't adult leagues and independent teams and other opportunities here. I got a chance to teach middle school in Cape Town and South Africa and pitch on the weekends. And I had a couple of really great seasons there. Uh, they hadn't seen too many left-handers, and I could throw a breaking ball behind in the count. And so I thought, frankly, I was better than I was. So when my dad sent me a bunch of clippings from uh, the Sporting News and other locations, uh, I, I saw an article about the Portland Mavericks, an independent baseball team in Portland, Oregon, 
that would allow anybody to try out. And at the time I was 25, 26 years old. I said, nobody's going to give me a shot at single A at that advanced age. So I went back to Long Island after the Cape Town season ended, did some substitute teaching, raised enough money to fly out to Portland, not knowing anybody, and joined the other 250 guys trying out. And uh, eventually I made the team. I was a really marginal player uh, by, by pro standards. The difference between the Ivy League and the Northwest League, as they would say in England, is like chalk and cheese. I mean, I, I got hit like a pinata. I really did. I didn't get anybody out. But Bing Russell was the owner, and he and I got along, so I was on the team. We have to talk about this because I review movies. I watch a movie every day on and on nothing personal. I review a movie every day. I reviewed the documentary Battered Bastards of Baseball. Were you in that documentary? Uh, yes, I, I was in that doc documentary that, you know, I was probably in that documentary longer than I was on the mound for the Portland Mavericks. I had a better memory than most of the guys. And uh, and I and I watched a lot. I was in the bullpen a lot. I mean, which leads us to big league too. But, you know, when I got out of college, I had a bachelor's degree in philosophy. I went to the nearby state university at Cortland uh, to get a master's in teaching. And then I hit the road. So when we talk about a business background, I mean, I mowed lawn, I painted fences, you know, I, I worked at baseball day camps and things like that. So when I came out here, I really thought it was going to be my ticket to be, uh, to get to the Yankees. I thought I was going to come and play for a short season team and they would unretire Whitey Ford's number and bring me back to the Bronx where, where I would pitch. And it didn't work out that way. When I got hammered during the tryouts, I got hit all over the place. I went to Bing Russell, the owner of the team, the next day, and I said, look, I know I pitched myself off this team, but I'm not going back to the East Coast. I'm going to stay here. Can I throw batting practice for 10 bucks a night? And I'll sell tickets on the phone, and, and I'll do pretty much what you want me to do. And he said, okay, we can do that. Maybe three days later, I went back to him. I said, you know, I wrote this paper when I was in school about starting a baseball day camp using public property with uh, professional baseball players. Would you do that? And he says, sounds interesting. Tell me more. I said, we'd call it the Little Mavericks Baseball School. I could use guys from the team. And he stopped me right there. He says, we can do this. He called the Park Bureau. He called the Oregonian, the local newspaper. I was in Portland for maybe three weeks and I had a baseball day camp up and running. It was like in a movie. It was like the little rascals putting on a show in a barn and, uh, and it, and it worked. Was Kurt Russell part of that? Was he there when you were there? Uh, Kurt came later in the season, uh, in 1975, he was there for most of the 1977 season, but Ben was, you know, a former actor himself. He was the deputy sheriff on Bonanza. And he's in a lot of great movies, The Magnificent Seven. I think he's in Rio Bravo for about eight seconds. He gets shot in a bar and then he's done. And that was kind of his theme. He, he was good at taking one in the chest and then falling over. And But he loved baseball, probably more than he loved acting. So he gave me the chance to stay with the team. And I eventually did make the team. I eventually started. I ran the tryouts, 300 guys trying out. Uh, I became the pitching coach. Bing had said to me at the end of the last season, which we didn't know was the last season, he said, take some classes at Portland State this winter. you got a future in baseball, but it's not going to be on the bump. Uh, it's going to be in the office somewhere. And, and I took that to heart. And then, of course, as you know from the movie, AAA baseball came in and the Portland Mavericks were no more. But getting back to the whole business model idea, I'm sitting in the right field bullpen 
with the other Mavs, Jim Bouton being one of them, the former Yankee, trying to make his comeback to the big leagues. And we were looking at guys in the bullpen, chewing and spitting and making fools of themselves with chewing tobacco. And Jim asked me, did you ever chew that stuff? I said, I tried it once. It never made sense. I probably wasn't, uh, probably didn't have it in my mouth for 30 seconds. And Jim said, me too. It's just kind of disgusting. It was maybe an inning later. I said, what do you think of the idea if we shredded gum and put it in a pouch so we could look like cool guys, but we wouldn't make ourselves ill? And I had shared this idea with a couple of people before. Truth be told, the original concept came to me from the Bat Boy, Todd Field, who's also in Battered Bastards, who's a writer-director in Hollywood now. As a Bat Boy, he used to have a pouch full of chopped up licorice. And I said, Todd, what are you doing? He says, relax, Rob. It's, it's not red, man. I'm just chomping on licorice. I said, do you think kids would like that? He said, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. He was like 14 years old. It was a throwaway line. It was the following season when he and I had a discussion. And I said, Todd, I was thinking about your licorice thing. I don't think kids would chew licorice, but I think if we shredded gum, it would pr be pretty cool. And typical teenager, he blew me off. He said, yeah, that sounds like fun. And then he went on to, you know, shine shoes and, and wash jock straps and things like that, because, you know, he's a clubhouse guy, too. And so when the epiphany came to me talking with Jim Bouton, and I said, well, what do you think about shredded gum in a pouch? Jim said three things. Number one, he said, I love that idea. Uh, number two, uh, he said, I could sell that idea. And that was the big deal. I needed somebody with a business background. And then the third thing is the most hilarious part of it. He said, what would you call it? And I just pulled it out of the air. I remember my exact words. I said, I don't know, big league chew. And Jim looked at me like I, you know, like I was a rocket scientist. He said, I think that's it. He said, make me a list of 20 names and we'll decide which one we're going to go with. And so I did. And I have that list somewhere. It's a piece of loose leaf somewhere. And I'm not a very good archivist, but that's how it began on a handshake. Jim put up about $10,000. As luck would have it, one of the kids in the Little Maverick Baseball School was the son of a prominent trademark and patent attorney in town who also had gone to Cornell, Dan Chernoff, wonderful guy. And uh, he, he did all the work for us to set the table. I made some pouches. I found an art company. We drew Jim Bouton's cartoon likeness on the pouch with a little bubble that said, best I ever tried, Big League Chew Shredded Bubblegum. And Jim pounded the pavement. Jim said that the I had the inspiration and he was the perspiration. So it really was a, a partnership that that only could happen within the, an independent baseball team. But Rob, talk me through this, because so many people come up with business ideas and they sound good. They look good. <clears throat> they've got backers, but they, they, they don't find a way to actually implement. And when you're trying to start a food, which is you were inventing a food in theory, how did you That's decide correct. what to put in your gum? Did you have a special gum that you liked that you wanted Big League Chew to taste like? Because the truth is Big League Chew has a unique taste. It tastes only like Big League Chew. Well, you know, it's a funny thing about that. You, you put it in your mouth, and you know, it's Big League Chew. My brother Ed had said, you know, there are not many brands that you could take it out of its package, put it in your hand and ask somebody what it is. And, and that's true with Big League Chew. He said, you can't do that with a glass of Coca-Cola. It could be root beer. It could be anything. But he said Big League Chew is unique in that way. In terms of how I did it, Jim is trying to sell the brand back east over the on the offseason. He says, Rob, these guys don't get it. You got to make some for me. 
And, and I'm thinking, well, I'll give it my best shot. As luck would have it, I'm reading People magazine in January of 1979. There's an article about the Arlington Confection Company. These guys making make your own bubble gum. And the article was hilarious. It's the first or second week in January. And uh, <laughs> people were making wild turkey bubble gum, just any kind of flavor that they wanted. I bought a case of the stuff. And they went to the Fred Meyer grocery store right next to the ballpark. And I went down the aisle. I found some maple extract and root beer extract because I thought kids would love brown bubble gum. Right. What do I know? I'm a philosopher. And uh, and I made it and I made it in the kitchen of the bat boy Todd Field. His mom, who's named preposterously, is Candy Field. And Mrs. Field let me use her kitchen. And I made the first batch of Big League Chew using ingredients from a kit. And the, the container looked like like a dinner roll thing, you know, aluminum on the top and bottom, and you peeled off the cardboard thing. And and I kneaded it and added the ingredients that were already in the package, and uh, and put in the root beer and maple extract. The root beer tasted better than the maple, but truth be told, it was dreadful gum. And I was coaching at Portland State at the time because my Maverick career was over. And all the guys, when I took it out to the uh, to the ballpark. Uh, they said, Rob, this is a great idea. Nobody said this is great gum. They, they basically say, ah, Nelly's kind of a dreamy kind of guy. Good luck with that kind of thing. I chopped it up with a round pizza knife. I rolled it. It came out like a flat sheet of brownies, maybe a half an inch thick. And I just shredded as much of it as I could and stuffed it into pouches and sent it off to Jim and said, good luck. We'll see where that goes. If it came and, out like a brownie mix, you could have put it through like a, sh a paper shredder to shred it. You know, basically the answer to that is you're right. And I didn't think of it. I took I took all utensils Mrs. Field had in her kitchen and, and was as resourceful as, as I could be. The bottom line is the product was dreadful. The idea was great. The name was awesome. Jim found a small division of Wrigley, Amaral Confections, who used to make gimmick gum for Wrigley. The division no longer exists, but they made ouch bubble gum that looked like a Band-Aid. They made chew bops that looked like a record album. They made Mork from Orc bubble gum, little things with with words from, from the, what was the, 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 the planet he was from was Orc, right? So Nanu, Nanu, and, and it was dopey stuff. And they said, well, and they knew how to make shredded gum. That was the crazy thing. They didn't know how to sell it. Jim walks through the door and they say, that's it. This is how this is going to work. Uh, it's going to be shredded gum in a pouch with a baseball theme. Really, again, it, I go back to, it, feel, it felt like I was in a movie that all these pieces fell in. My, my oldest brother, Harry, says it's, it's like Forrest Gump come to real life. Everywhere I turned, somebody, somebody had an idea to make it better and make it happen. And I just rolled along with it. Jim and I were partners for 20 years. He's gone now. He passed away about two years ago. Miss him every day. But he was the bulldog on the mound as a ball player. And in the boardroom, he was the super bulldog. He just wouldn't he wouldn't say no to almost anything. And and the Wrigley people didn't know what to make of him. But I knew I had I had just a big league partner in Jim Bowden. Guy was awesome. So you had a deal with Wrigley. And uh, for people that don't, I mean, I, I think people would have heard of Wrigley Gum and Wrigley Fields and <laughs> the association with the Chicago Cubs. Wrigley is this very, very famous gum confectionery company. Did you get to actually go to Wrigley's offices? I, I, I did. And, and you know, I, I, you know, I kind of played the role of being the eccentric, you know, inventor left handed guy. 
and so we'd go into meetings with a lot of guys wearing jackets and ties and I'd have a Hawaiian shirt on and, and Bermuda shorts. And I kind of played up to the fact that the gym was really the go-to guy. Uh, but we were a great partnership and going to those meetings was, was hilarious. And then being behind those two-way windows when they're, they're uh, asking kids questions about bubblegum, why do you like Big League Chew? Because they were flabbergasted. I mean, our first deal was a three-year contract. And after the first year, they had sold $18 million worth of Big League Chew. This is a year before the Cubs were sold for $22 million. So the numbers were phenomenal. It was really crazy. And, and Jim and I, you know, we just live in the dream. But yeah, I did go to those meetings and uh, they treated me not from with a distance. One of my favorite lines from one of the execs was, Rob, I think we've got a winner here. You really do have the mind of an 11 year old. And there was like an uncomfortable, there was an uncomfortable silence. He said, no, I mean that in a good way, you know? So I knew, I knew where it was coming from, but yeah, the, the Wrigley people were delightful all the way to the end. I was with Wrigley for 30 years and they were phenomenal. You were like Tom Hanks in the movie, big. You were like the, you were like the big guy playing with the toys, trying to figure out what's cool for the toy maker. Well, yeah, you know, there's that scene in Big when they've got the robot that becomes a building or something. And Tom Hanks just says, I don't get it. You know, why is this cool? You know, so I was kind of that guy. And, I, and I've read in business, you know, journals that a lot of times good ideas come from people who don't know what you can't do. And I was exhibit A. I didn't know what was possible. I was just going along. You know, I was doing advertising with a sports equipment company out here in Portland, making baseball throwing machines. And was just hoping that Jim would come up with something. And then, then you know, we got this three-year deal. We were over the moon. I was able to pay off my student loans. I couldn't believe how happy I was. So did you keep ownership of the company with your deal with Wrigley, with your distribution deal? And did you did you have enough experience to keep the copyright and, and trademark for yourself and for your company? Or did you sort of merge it in because you had a need for capital early on in the business? No, uh, we held on to the trademarks. Uh, all the intellectual property, I still own it. I bought Jim out about 20 years in. He was interested in some other projects, and uh, and I really wasn't. And he, at the time, it was not long after the baseball strike, where baseball was kind of down in, in the hearts and minds of America. And Jim thought that Big League Chew had maybe seen its better day, and we should sell the trademarks to Wrigley. And I wasn't interested in doing that. I, I, I was still doing a baseball camp on the east end of Long Island, where my brothers were working at a lobster house and I would go join them for a month every summer. And I, I got bored. I don't golf. And I wasn't playing that much tennis at the time. I went to the town of Southampton and said, how about we start a baseball day camp, Southampton baseball school. In fact, just earlier this month, I did the last year of it, 35 years running the Southampton baseball school. And the reason I bring that up uh, is uh, when Jim said he thought big league two might have seen better days. I said, Jim, you got to come to my camp. When we have a fly ball competition and a kid can win a pouch of Big League Chew if he catches more flies than anybody else, the kids will run through the wall. They still love the gum like crazy. I said, baseball is not going away and Big League Chew is not going away. So it took me three years to buy out Jim Bounton. And then fast forward to when the Mars company bought out Wrigley, uh, I was kind of a man without a, a company. And I got a great agent out of Chicago, Bob Anderson. We went shopping it around. And again, it's like a Tom Hanks movie. We found a little company just outside of Buffalo and Ford Gum. And we're now half of Ford Gum's business. We went from a behemoth company like, like Wrigley, 
who became a super behemoth when they became Mars Wrigley. And then we went to a little place in Akron, New York. People ask where that is. I tell them it's halfway between Buffalo and Batavia. And, and you know, it, it's preposterous how great Ford gum has been. When I sat down with those guys, they got me right away that they were dealing with a left-hander and that the bottom line wasn't that big a deal to me. I just wanted to make sure we made the best gum possible. Wrigley, uh, I negotiated with Wrigley to buy the equipment. We moved it from Mexico where it was being made, shipped all the equipment up to the parking lot outside of Buffalo. And it was like a big Lego set. The Ford gum guys figured out how to put it together. And uh, again, going back to the little rascals, they made it work. I've been with them for over 12 years now, and they've just been, they've been spectacular. The cool thing about being in Western New York is that I had a lot of teammates at Cornell from Tonawanda and Kenmore High School. I knew that Warren Spahn had grown up in Buffalo, winning his left-hander of all time. The natural was filmed in Buffalo. It just had, it had a cosmic connection to it. And, and then we're three hours from Cooperstown. And as luck would have it, through my PR guys, Maroon PR, John Maroon and his band of believers uh, suggested that maybe we should talk with the Hall of Fame. And now we are the Hall of Fame bubblegum. You know, it's a three hour drive from from the Big League Chew factory to the Hall of Fame. And now my gum is in the Hall of Fame. My arm is not, but my gum is. So that's what, pretty what cool. was that deal like? Because I wanted to talk about the Hall of Fame. They they endorsed you. You are the official bubblegum of the Hall of Fame. And in, in baseball, when you're, you're on the team side and you've got an exclusive category to sell, like the car category or the banking category uh, or the soda soft drink category, you're getting paid for that. When the Hall of Fame endorses you, what, what, what kind of money deal was that for you? Because you say you're not interested in, in the bottom line, but at the same time, you've been doing this business for three decades, which means clearly there has to be a business side to this. Was getting the Hall of Fame endorsement important for the financial health of your company it probably was it just felt right more than anything else that that, that uh, we negotiated a fair fee to uh to represent them and i go to the clinics that they have and i've been to clinics where ozzy smith is teaching kids how to catch ground balls at shortstop and when that station is done they say go to the right field bullpen talk to coach rob he's going to teach you how to blow bubbles the hall of fame treats me like i'm a hall of famer I mean, it really is ridiculous, but it's so much fun. And I think just like when I went to Cape Town or when I came to Portland, I went where baseball was involved and fun mattered. When I started the baseball day camp, I have friends of mine here, former Mavericks, who say their first two jobs in Portland, Oregon, were pitching for the Mavericks and working for me at the Little Maverick Baseball School. And I always set it up in such a way that I could make just enough that I'd be having fun and paying all the bills. And, and that's how it's worked out. I never had a plan that if we put X dollars into the hall of fame, it would increase our, our bottom line by 8% or something like that. I just, I just don't roll that way. There are people at Ford gum who could crunch who do in fact, crunch all the numbers and they know what they're doing. I mean, those guys are really good. Even through the COVID cloud overhead, uh, they've just soldiered on. And they've been spectacular. I think one of the reasons we've had good success with Big League Chew is that we stayed with Big League Chew. You know, the, there's no Big League Chew candy bar or Slurpee or stuff like that. It's just we make gum. We make shredded gum. And now the big advance is we make gumballs now. So you can get a bucket of gumballs in a, in a rally bucket. And kids love that stuff. They can pop one in every half inning. You know, I haven't so that's seen that yet. Bending the bread, right? What's Hold that? on. Stop. 
You have gumballs now? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, obviously you've been working too hard. We've had gumballs for probably about five years. No. I've got to get your address. I got it. You get you need I'm giving you my dress, address man. right now. This is outrageous because I love <laughs> dipping my fingers in the pouch and grabbing a pinch sure. and putting it in the cheek. Sure. But the concept of gumballs. <laughs> is it is it shredded gum in the gumballs with the hard candy coating on the outside? No, there's no candy coating. The, the shredded. It's just an impossibility to make shreds and and, and roll it up. It's it, there. It's about the same size as the center of a baseball, which is pretty cool. So it's just a pink glob of gum. I had asked the Wrigley company to try that and they said they'll squish. They, it just will look terrible. I said, not if you put it in a bucket and just, just give it room to breathe, so to speak. And the Ford gum guys, I probably have given them a hundred ideas and they've taken two or three, but the one they did take were the gumballs and they're great. So it's just a blob of gum. There's no candy shell. It's just, it's like, it's as if you'd roll the big league chew yourself and, and popped it into your cheek. Uh, it actually yes, it may look like and I'm sorry for not having seen one before because I can't wait to eat them because I am giving you my address. It seems like it may be the inside of a baseball when you yeah, take it. Exactly. You've obviously ripped the cover off a of baseball. I'm sure that players batters when they've batted against you pitching, they may have hit a ball so hard that the cover ripped off. And if you look underneath the cover, is that what your inspiration was for how the blob looks? <laughs> It was, you know, again, it's total serendipity. When I went to Ford Gum and they were talking about the packaging and I said, well, you know, Big League Chew comes in uh, 12, the nine sleeves with 12 pouches in each. And there was 108 pouches in every box. And I said, we can't change that. And they looked at me quite seriously and they said, why not? I said, well, that's how many stitches are in a baseball. So 108 really matters to me. You can't change the box. And they didn't know me that well at the time, but I'm sure they walked out and said, this guy's a piece of work. But all that stuff, you know, the center of the baseball, 108 pouches in a box. It's almost like somebody was looking over me saying, you got a minor league arm, kid, but maybe a big league mind when it comes to the game. Uh, so here I am, 72 years old, still doing it. It's killing me. I love it. What made you choose grape as a flavor? You know, I let, you know, one of the things I have learned, like trying to get the legal stuff, I didn't get a kit for that. I went to Dan Chernoff, the late, great Dan Chernoff, who did all the legal stuff. Same thing with the flavors. And uh, it was all Wrigley. They know what kids like. Uh, I wanted them to do a, uh, a, a cherry cola, which they did for a couple of years, and it didn't sell. I loved it. I thought it was great. I'd love to see cherry-flavored Big League Chew come back. How they came up with ground ball grape, the name of which I, I love. You know, it's not Grand Slam grape. It's ground ball grape. I mean, it's so silly, and people remember it. Corey Seager, the Dodgers, he doesn't chew ground ball grape anymore because he was in a high school tournament and all he hit were ground balls for like the whole week. And he said, that's it. I'm done. So and somebody did a thing, you know, what's in Corey Seager's uh, uh, cubicle in, in the clubhouse? And he had like five of those sleeves of original big league chew. So the question came up, you know, what's with the original only? And he told that story. He said, now, ground ball grape makes me hit ground balls. For me, ground ball grape is the best when I go up against fifth graders in a bubblegum going contest. I always go big with the grape it's a little more leathery than the other flavors and uh i, I kid my friends saying that well, you know we moved to buffalo so we made the grape a little more sophisticated it's more like a cabernet franc than than it used to be and they look at me like i'm nuts they don't know if i'm, I'm kidding them or not 
but it's a great flavor. It's explosive flavor. The grape is killer. It really is. So, you know, in the clubhouse, in professional clubhouses that I've been in, we have bubble gum, uh, bubble blowing contests. And we have we talk about which is the best gum to chew for blowing bubbles because there's bazooka. Then you've got the bubble yum. You've got the hubba bubba. But back in my day, you wouldn't chew hubba bubba because they found like bug eggs and like some of the hubba bubba back in the day. <laughs> so that became sort of out. And Big League Chew always made it to the Mount Rushmore for bubble blowing. So for those of you out there listening and watching, uh, get Big League Chew and recognize that you will get, this is how you judge bubbles when you're in the big leagues. It's how much of the gum gets to your nose. That's when you're That's doing right. a bubble blowing contest. And Big League Chew was known as a bridge gum because if you got enough and did it right, you could have the bubble burst and it would get on the bridge of your nose. I bet you didn't know That's that exactly people right. called you the bridge gum. <laughs> In the early 80s, Jim and I did an interview with Sports Illustrated, and they had a photographer there just clicking away. You know, it felt like Richard Gere, you know, like that the, they were just getting all these angles. And I had like a soccer ball size bubble. Uh, and they, they went crazy. And, and then it landed in my eyebrows. And they said, uh, keep going, keep going. I said, no, I'm done. And that's the one they used in the article. It's like gum all over my face. But my brother, he said, best photo I've ever seen of you. It's like wearing a balloon on my head. Now tell parents that it's going to be okay. Do you have a lot of cavities? <laughs> I do not. One of my best friends, my best friend from college days, Tommy Betcher, went to dental school. He loved Big League Chew. And one of my best friends playing tennis out here, Dr. Ron Salas, he, he thinks that it's the greatest thing since shredded gum, I suppose. But no, I don't have a lot of cavities. Four out of five dentists recommend Big League Chew. <laughs> so what is the future? I want to know who the fifth guy is. The fifth guy never played the game. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always love that commercial for Trident. Four out of five dentists recommend Trident. I always wanted to see the interview with the fifth dentist. Do, do, I don't know if people <laughs> yeah, remember Trident Saturday gum. I've never did that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a Rob, Saturday Night Live skit. No question. Tell me about the future of Big League Chew. You're working with the company for it. I understand. And I know that you have been very clear about your product and that you want it to be gum only. There's so much going on in the confectionery world, right? There are mergers going on. There are companies that are exploding. There are these SPACs that have been invented, these special purpose corporations where which help companies go public and help bring money to expand companies. When you think about Big League Chew, tell me what the future is in your mind, because you're a young guy. <laughs> well, I, I think the future of Big League Chew is to keep making the best gum that's out there. Uh, keep it in the, within the borders of the U.S. There's something to me about the fact that it's a Buffalo-based company makes me smile. I think the focus that we have, you know, I, I refer to Big League Chew as kind of the WD-40 of, of confections. We do one thing really, really well. And I haven't been approached by a whole lot of people saying, you know, you could do this, you could do that, you could really expand the brand. I, you know, my idea of expanding the brand is coming up with, uh, we've got a deal pending with New Era. There are going to be some Big League Chew baseball caps. And I'm doing T-shirt things. And a couple of years ago, we did a shoe thing with New Balance. But it was always geared towards promoting bubblegum. So I, I don't think you're going to see Big League Chew out there 
far beyond what it is now. We just want to make it better and let the company grow because we are, I don't know, I guess you could say we're the Mariano Rivera of, of, of bubblegums. You know, we had one pitch and nobody could hit it. And, and other companies have tried some variation that sort of looks like Big League Chew. But the two things they can't duplicate are, number one, the quality of the brand, the quality of the product that Ford Gum makes is, is second to none. And the, the other component, I really think, is it's a fun story. I remember one Halloween in, in Northeast Portland where we were living at the time. And my, we were talking, my kids and I, uh, the twins and, and Paige, uh, were talking about why there was such a frenzy at our door. It's the bubblegum house. Like not only the kids, but the parents and stuff. And Paige was maybe 11 when she said, you know, Dad, nobody knows who invented the Snickers bar. And she said, my friends at school, they like the fact that you're the gum guy. And, and she, she said, basically, she didn't say this, but what she inferred, she said, they love the fact that nobody stole the idea from you, that you had an idea and you succeeded with it. And we live in a community and you know, it's, it's just, just like everybody else on the block. And, and she liked that. And I think she was right. I mean, she's 21 now, but you know, 10 years ago, I think she nailed it. It's just that People like our brand because it's a great product and it's a good story. And let's face it, the packaging, the original guy was Bill Mayer, the artist who made those first mad magazine looking guys. And that was, that is one of the many things that, that Bill Mayer has done. Uh, it, it was just, it was perfect. People would look at that packaging and say, this is so much fun. I can't tell you how many guys I knew from high school and college who said they didn't know it was my idea, but they hoped that whoever created it made a killing on it because it was so much fun. So lucky you, me. You've put a woman on the, on the, on the pouch, haven't you? It's not just the original cartoonish character. Isn't that right? That's right. Uh, Amanda McFarlane was the artist. Uh, she used her niece as the model. Uh, and it's this killer. She's got her own flavor. Now, initially we had two, two characters for the original flavor of big league chew. And then when we came up with slam and strawberry, we put the lefty in the lineup and she's killed it. She's been awesome. She looks tenacious. She looks as, as, as aggressive as all the guys in, in the roster of, of the big league two team. And the, the cool thing again about big league two is that we don't have names for the characters and we don't do endorsements. You know, we, we don't have big major league stars on the pouch because the gum is the star. So we didn't need to put, you know, Babe Ruth or anybody else for that matter. We make individualized pouches for celebrations. We made some personalized ones for Fergie Jenkins when they, they put his statue up outside of Wrigley Field. But those are one-off special edition things. The gum stands on its own. The fact that we've got a girl on the pouch now and she looks like she can hit as well as anybody on that big league two roster. I think that's cool. It really works. Well, she certainly could hit well against you, I assume. But now you've opened the door, <laughs> Rob, haven't you? I, I can picture this. Hold on. I'm closing my eyes. I think I have it. I think that nothing personal can can be on the pouch because that's really it's just business, right? It's nothing personal. And in, that's that's our saying. And you can say it's just gum. It's nothing personal. Right. That's really good. You know, and I see you got the pink jacket on. So was that kind of, are you auditioning for the, uh, for, to get on the pouch? If we do it, you got to be wearing that jacket. Now, of course I will. And I would tell you that I am in a salmon bubblegum color jacket, but 
I can't say it's because of you because I'm not ever going to lie to the audience. My blazers for nothing personal are in a closet in an order and I wear them in an order. And so when the day comes, this was the salmon blazer day. So I was wearing it. It just so happens that we're doing the show today. I'd like to take the credit, but I do it in a total order. So we just got lucky. Well, you know, a lot of my friends call me lucky lefty. I will say this about the salmon blazer. I have one. I have a friend who calls it Nantucket red, which gives it an air of sophistication. But the salmon thing, I mean, we're, I'm from the great Northwest now. I mean, I've been here longer than I was on Long Island and then in upstate New York. So the salmon thing resonates for me. So I think we got a deal. We got to talk when the show is over. I'm going to call <laughs> it Southampton salmon. Wow. Well, I don't know if the salmon gum is going to fly, but but I, I, I like the blazer. I really do. Rob, I appreciate it. Big Lee Chew, go out and get it. Trust me, you will be happy. Thank you, Rob, so much. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.